As much as last night's was a great thing for the industry, we are primarily number one. We're about the we're about the reader and giving them a great guide to hold in their hands and flick through and circle where they want to go and eat in their suburb or where they want to go and eat when they go on holidays to the Northern Rivers or to the ACT. Yeah, so that, that's what it is. One week ago, it was all about the Age Good Food Guide, and we had editor Rosalind Grundy on the show. Now it is New South Wales' turn. We are heading to Sydney to chat to Callan Boys. Callan is the National Food and Drink Writer for Good Food and the SMH Good Food Guide editor. Callan, welcome to Daddy Linen. Oh, thank you very much for having me, Danny. This is great. Always happy to chat to you. Well, I'm always happy to chat to you. And it is, I feel very honoured that after, you know, the, the day after the night that was, um, you've graced us with your presence. So thank you very much for that. <laughs> uh, tell, us, uh, tell us about the night. How was it? How did it feel to be in a room with all those New South Wales chefs and restaurateurs? It felt great. I tell you what, um, Shell House really, really turned it on in Sydney, Shell House Dining Room and Terrace, who were one of our Restaurant of the Year nominees. And uh, I, I've heard by all reports, I didn't eat too much of the food because I was too busy, but I've heard it was maybe the best food that's ever been served at a Good Food Guide Awards by veterans of the industry. So that was really great to hear. But it was just so good to see so many people back from HOSPO all around Sydney, all around New South Wales, um, and just having a ripper time. I was talking to the guys from Shell House afterwards because there was, you know, um, Andy Tyson, Dan Pepperell, all the cool kids were kind of there, and they're hanging out at the after party. And I said, Brett, this never happens. Usually everyone just goes home after the awards or goes back to their own restaurants and hangs out with their own brigade and their own team. But uh, everyone was sticking around and just having an absolute knees up and um, the champagne was flowing. And I, golly, I don't want to think how much money was spent on booze, but I'm um, good on Shell House for turning it on. And good, thank you so much to anyone listening that came to the awards from around Sydney or New South Wales. The turnout was mega. Um, I loved all the little pockets of like Northern Rivers crew, the South Coast crew, all the guys from Canberra, kind of you come up on the Monday, go out for lunch somewhere and, you know, all hang out. And it's just, yeah, it was amazing to see and so happy. Cal, so many awards, so many things we could shine the light on. What were some of the highlights for you? <laughs> um, highlights for me, personally, it was great to see so many omakase chefs under one roof having a ripper time. There are so many omakase restaurants in the Sydney Morning Herald Good Food Guide. I'm not sure what it's like for you for you down in Victoria, but it's just gone crazy up here with so many great omakase. So that was great to see everyone having a good time. It was so, so good to see Anita Potter um, from Beyond Restaurant in Willamalood uh, win Chef of the Year. As well, Anita is just an absolute legend. Um, and to run a Thai restaurant, which is a $150 tasting menu only, or maybe it's about $130, don't quote me on that. Uh, listeners, do your own research. Um, but it's around that much. And uh, in a city which still kind of feels that Thai food should be cheapish, you know, um, she's just running her own game. And it's just, just amazing, all self-funded. Um, so give her Chef of the Year was, was beautiful. And gosh, she's a, a beautiful, amazing cook. Like her food, her tie is just the, some of the best I've had all year. Um, but uh, also the guys from Pork Fat, my other favourite Thai restaurant opened in Sydney recently in Haymarket. If you haven't been to Pork Fat yet, definitely do it. Sydney listeners are anyone visiting. Um, so to see those guys there having a great time and winning a hat was awesome. Uh, what else? Our fire door going up to two hats, uh, three hats, sorry, three hats for the first time. So all our three hat winners were um, pretty much predicted 
predictable, shall we say, for want of a better term, but key retainers, three hats, six mini retainers, three hats. Terry Durack, our chief critic for the Sydney Morning Herald, already scored on call by Claire Smith an 18 hour 20 when it opened last November. So you kind of figured it might have kept that score, though it wasn't certain. Um, so for Fyodor to go up to three hats was just amazing, though, and you know, Lennox, when he opened that restaurant, it was just all kind of centered around the steak. Like everything else kind of orbited around that one great big piece of dry aged steak that was about $270 or whatever, or maybe $220 when he opened. Anyway, um, now it's just tasting menu only. And it's just one of the best value, like $165 for five courses. And it's not just the best steak you'll ever have. If you want to get that as an optional add-on, you don't really. But just the amazing lamb and coral trout and um, – Oh, gosh, like it's all Hawkesbury River School prawns. I had when I was there. Terry had a completely different menu, but we both went there and checked it out and, and loved it. Um, so, yeah, three hats with Fyodor. Claire Smith came over from uh, London. She flew out for the awards, surprised a couple of her team on the Saturday night. Um, and then they went out and I think they went to Mimi's in Sydney for lunch on Sunday. And then she um, did a bit of a surprise visit to the awards on Monday night and accepted the award for Encore by Claire Smith um, getting three hats. And then Michael Stoddart, their restaurant manager, won Service Excellence Award. He's a legend. Um, yeah, gosh, it was just a bloody good night. But honestly, it was just so much fun to have so many people under one roof of so many restaurants that have been to over the past three years probably um, on the road and we haven't been able to celebrate them with hats and um, with the awards like we previously would have annually. And speaking of legends, tell us about the Legend Award. Oh, my gosh. That's probably my favourite. Thanks for reminding me, Danny. Um, There was just so much going on. But, yeah, Eric and Linda Wong, oh, my gosh. Like I was sitting next to – standing next to Stu Gregor when this was announced. So Eric and Linda, um, who opened Golden Century in 1989. Um, and if you're not familiar with Golden Century, that's a shame. And I, and I feel for you because it's sadly now closed last year due to a few reasons, um, with COVID and whatnot, but, um, just the most democratic Cantonese seafood restaurant, probably in Australia, maybe in the world where you would have Lou Reed and Rihanna at one table, not together, mind you, and then you'd have some families there at another table and then you would have um, certainly some politicians from either side of the political spectrum at another table and then you just have a couple of sous chefs maybe to finish their shift and just want to be nourished by the power of congee or the wonderful braised braised brisket, all the, you know, signature so pippies. But Eric and Linda's hospitality was always just number one. They really cared about their customers, working the room, going around to every table, making sure everyone was having a good time, just so warm and so, so loving and just wanting to make sure they were providing the most pristine, beautiful seafood they could because no one else was really doing live seafood in Sydney when um, they opened Golden Century in 1989, but they'd worked in Hong Kong or Kowloon for a while and um, and knew, I think they said, they think we think there's a market here. So, and also there was a market for late night dining so open at 4am from back in the day Eric would um, you know come in in the morning around 10 o'clock work lunch service go and sleep in his car for an hour um, between breaks then come back and do dinner service and leave at 4am just absolute legends so yeah anyway I was standing next to Stu Gregor when it was announced and Stu Gregor the uh, co-owner of Four Pillars uh, Jin, uh, they were one of the sponsors last night doing an amazing martini stand by the way thanks for that guys um, but he was like oh my gosh are you giving it to uh 
Eric and Linda Wong was like, yep. And he's like, oh, you bloody legend. There's no one better. There's no one better than those guys. <laughs> so that was that was great to hear. So um, And, yeah, the room was beautiful. So I think that there's, there's a wonderful video we shot of that as well with Neil Perry and Dan Hong speaking and Billy Wong, Eric and Linda's son. So Billy now um, helps run XOPP with Eric and Linda as well in Haymarket. And they've still got the century at the Star as well. And here was the scoop last night, which Eric uh, revealed on stage. I don't know if he was supposed to or not, but uh, our Golden Century Barbecue Restaurant coming next year as well. Ah, oh, love so, it. Yeah, I said to Scott Bowles at the back, I said, you on to this? He's like, I don't know anything about this. So. Got the scoop. Live at the awards. <laughs> love that. So, Cal, this is your inaugural editorship of the Good Food Guide, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is amazing. So, good on you. And it's also, you know, obviously after a couple of disrupted years uh, with, you know, it's such a, I mean, yeah, what a great thing that the guide is back and hats are back. But for the first time, there is something else, the heart. Uh, can you explain what hearts are and how that all fits into things? Totally, totally. Well, so everyone who gets a hat still gets a score. So a hat is 15 out of 20 or above, 16 is two hats, and then an 18 out of 20 is three hats and above. Don't ask me why. There's a two-point gap between 16 and 18. Leo Schofield or the editors wrote that in the 80s and it's been that way ever since and it cannot be changed. End of discussion. Um, and we've also got a scoring system within the guide, which is 10 points for food, five points for service and hospitality, and then three points for ambience in the room, and then two points for value. And the value thing comes under, would you spend your own money there and would you go back again or would you recommend it to a family member or a friend? Um, and, and it comes to things like a lot of places – they might be, say, a 14 or a 15 maybe, um, but technically they're not that fun and interesting though and you don't really want to go there and spend your own money. Like, it's fine. It's fine. And so we f- I was finding just going through, there was a lot of restaurants and, again, doing amazing things, don't get me wrong, but they were just really good, like fun, suburban, 40-hour 20s and visited by locals, loved by locals. But we thought, well, the locals kind of already know about these. So what else do people want to cross town for though what else do you really want to get out there and drive a couple of suburbs get an uber for you know for a 50 dollars cab ride and, and and take some byo or go and experience something new and so we just want to get more of those kind of restaurants in there um and then also more stuff in food courts i want to work on that i just think it's unfair that say like happy chef at sussex center food court in sydney has the most amazing noodle soups everyone knows that um the lineups are ridiculous at lunch and then you've got kwan's noodles is there as well and it's like well those guys should be in the guide. Why not? Um, But under our scoring system, I mean, there's not really a service and hospitality aspect to it. The room's a food court. So on paper, it comes in as, you know, a 10 or something out of 20 probably just because it doesn't fit in with our scoring. So we don't want to rewrite the whole scoring. We want those guys to sit alongside the rest of the restaurants with hats. So we gave them a heart, which is a Critics' Choice heart, which says we love these restaurants and, um, and would go to again and do go to many, many times. Um, so it's just a good way that they can sit along there um, and you're not picking up and going, oh, well, it's 11 now of 20. 
well, I don't want to go there. It's like, yeah, but this is like the best, um, you know, um, gnocchi you might have or the best wood-fired pizza just because you're eating out of a cardboard box like at Westwood Pizza in Newtown. And I think there's six seats at Westwood, but it's, you know, it's the one pizza everyone's talking about. So how do we get that in the guides? The heart was kind of to to, to work around that. Uh, and to be honest, like, to be honest, I think Michelin does a similar thing with Bibgoman and their little um, logo, which is a Michelin star or Michelin guide man licking his lips and it's disgusting. So we've changed that a little bit to have a heart which is a bit bit nicer so it's a critic's choice heart um yeah and they're not scored reviews they're just places that we bloody love all across town for that add something to the you know um to the dining culture in a good positive meaningful way whether that's just a bloody you know great bar me or it might be um you know a place on the beach which has an amazing wine list and cellar um, but, you know, the food might not rate a hat, but you still kind of go there and, you know, drink some amazing Chablis you won't get anywhere else. Mm. It's so interesting because, you know, the way that you describe it and it's the reality of a finite publication, like some places just do miss out. And as you say, they're, they're worthy, but they just they just don't, they don't they're, they're not in this sort of matrix. And there has been, you know, over the past week since the um, Vic Guide came out, there's been some, you know, some restaurants that were omitted you know, probably, you know, if there was endless space, they'd they'd be in there. Um, it is it's so hard. Like, how do you how do you deal with that practically, but also emotionally? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was really stressing out about that, and I thought, oh my god, like I need to in Sydney. I can only speak to Sydney, not Melbourne. Um, but it was like, oh, I need to get out to Kensington. And I need to do a proper sweep of it because I haven't been to Kensington in about a year and a half. I need to go out to Eastwood and see what's there. Um, and then when you start to, you know, go through every corner and every restaurant and start lifting up all the manholes to see what's out there, there's an amazing stuff, but it just stresses you out so much to try and grab everything in there. So I just reached out to our critics, and that's why we've called it the Critics' Choice Heart. And it's the places that we already know and love. And we did a little bit of research into trying finding more places, but even just with the critics choice thing and, and places that we love, like it was already huge. We still had to cut stuff there because of page space. We still want to get the hats in there and the 15 out of 20s and all that. They still need to go in there. But to get those other restaurants in, the hearts that we love, yeah, it was, it was stressful. And I know we've definitely, there should, there's stuff in the guide that's not in there, but there's, then there's next year's guide and we can just keep building on it and building on it. Um, and that, and that, that's the most important thing. So I'm just kind of seeing this as a really good foundation to start getting more of those uh, amazing restaurants in there that don't always fit the good food guide matrix. It's a job that has so much scrutiny or a publication that has so much scrutiny. Like, have you enjoyed it? Like, how has it, how has it been? Yeah, I've, I've, I've loved doing it. Um, you know, it gets pretty stressful when, and you know this, when you've got to do the re-reviews, when something might be teetering, especially if it's a restaurant that you've loved so many times and you don't want to be the one to take a point off it and then it loses a hat. Like, that's not done as a willy-nilly, like, <laughs> let's have a bugger them kind of thing. Like, no one likes, to, no critic, I don't think, and I, I at least none of the critics at Nine and Good Food, Nee Fairfax, um, enjoy taking scores off. Um, so there is there is stress around that because you know these are people's livelihoods and they're trying really hard. Now, but look, if it's a if it's some multinational company that's come over and opened some gross, um, bloated thing in the CBD, then it's you know it's not as 
um, hard as a family-run restaurant at times. But even then, like, you, you, there's people's jobs, there's people's staff there, so we don't really like to um, take points off. But sometimes it has to. You need to have a level there. So that 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 is a challenge. Um, I mean, this year, though, there wasn't too much of that. Like, I don't think many restaurants went down. Um, there was probably some restaurants that were rescored since the initial review, and that happens a lot. Like, Terry or myself will review when the restaurant opens three or four weeks in usually everyone's on their a game the team's awesome blah blah blah. everyone's just firing all cylinders and then you revisit in six months and maybe some of those key staff members have moved on and maybe the chef stopped working the you know seven nights a week and things have changed a little bit so there's been some really calibration of those scores but nothing too much but again it's it's not done um just with a you know um finger in the air there's there's certainly a lot of work that goes into those re-reviews too um but to be able to celebrate like um like the amazing Eric and Linda Wong, to be able to celebrate Anita, to be able to celebrate Fyodor, Encore by, by Claire Smith, all the amazing Omakasi restaurants. Like, that's the that's the best part of the job. Um, like that's, 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 and, and to eat the food as well, to get out there and and um, and just try these amazing things. And, and, and look, I only moved from um, Sydney, to Sydney from Newcastle about 10 years ago. So I'm still discovering it in a big way too. I didn't grow up here. So, you know, there's sometimes I'll go to a suburb. It's like, I've never set foot in here in my life. And then all of a sudden, oh my gosh, there's this amazing Ethiopian place. Let's get that in the guide. So, yeah. Um, and I, I've also, I'm digressing here a little bit, but I said in my editor's letter, I said like, let us know um, if there's places in your neighborhood that you think should be in there that we should go and have a look at. Please let us know. We'd love to hear from readers. Leo Schofield always used to do that in the Good Food Guide in the 80s and the early 90s. He would always say, you know, this is run by humans. It's not run by robots. Um, so, so please let us know if there's anything in there. So because missing something that should be in there, like really should be in there, um, that that is the thing that keeps me up at night. We really want to make it a, a really, really good usable guide um, for the industry to, you know, hold and go, yes, we're so happy to be part of this, but also for the reader. That's the thing as well. It is as much as last night's was a great thing for the industry. We are primarily, number one, we're about the we're about the reader and giving them a great guide to hold in their hands and flick through and circle where they want to go and eat in their suburb or where they want to go and eat when they go on holidays to the Northern Rivers or to the ACT. We've got a lot of Canberra restaurants in there. I think there's about 20 this year, which is huge. Um, yeah, so that, that's what it is. Yeah, I mean, it's so well described. It really is serving, well, at least a dual purpose with that really important benchmarking for the industry, but of course, a, a consumer guide for people who want to decide where to have their next meal or where to book in for a special occasion. Um, but speaking of regions, let's touch on the regional restaurant of the year and the new regional restaurant of the year. Um, so Pippet, Pivot, uh, the first one, and uh, Bistro Levy, the new regional restaurant of the year. Tell us um, why those restaurants were highlighted. Well, I'll, I'll start with Pippet. And I said to Ben Devlin last night, so Ben Devlin's the chef from Pippet and his wonderful wife, wife, Yen, who runs the business side of things, while Ben toils away in the kitchen, fermenting gosh knows what. Um, and I said, I think you're the only chef, you're the only restaurant story, guys, that has ever won this back-to-back. So... Um, they won Regional Restaurant of the Year in the 2020 Good Food Guide. And now 
Um, we haven't scored for three years. They've won regional restaurant of the year again. And when I went there or was reviewed for the 2020 guide, I think I scored a 15.5. And it was pretty good. And, you know, Ben cooked a lot of amazing food at Paper Daisy at House in House. And he was there when he did his own thing. It was pretty good. Um, but he's just stepped it up so much in that past three years. It's like, it's, it's like a little Noma kind of thing, which Ben worked out for a while anyway. But all these amazing cures and ferments and pickles around, and it's one thing to do your own house-made uh, charcuterie. I think everyone seems to be doing that these days. But then to be doing um, your own uh, fishbone flour, your own miso, his own, like, this amazing, like, squid ink, um, quote-unquote, caviar, um, uh, duck ham, his own blue cheese. Like, I don't know any many other chefs making their own cheese, and you come out, and they're like, here's five different types. Here's my blue. Here's my, like, camembert style. Here's my breeze. my what? Like, geez. Like, you don't need to be doing that. There's plenty of good cheeses up in the middle of the room. You just got to get in. But, like, that commitment to just doing everything from scratch. And, and also, like, in terms of sustainability, so many chefs – walk the sustainability or sorry talk the sustainability talk but uh no i don't think anyone really does it quite like ben does with this commitment to never use any animal that has a hoof in the restaurant um for environmental reasons uh and so everything's either there's no chickens either it's just duck um uh, pasture raised or it's uh, uh fish and seafood so like anyway and then like it's just an amazing restaurant on top of that like yen runs a great back of house operation and then you have just a really good team on the floor beautiful space i've opened up mondays now to locals because pottsville um not really a culinary capital um of new south wales so i think um for a long time there was a bit of an education process for the locals who would come into this wood-fired restaurant they've heard about that just opened um and they're like well where's the pizza you're a wood-fired restaurant you don't have any pizza so anyway um and maybe not wanting to spend the 185 dollars or whatever it is on a tasting menu again don't quote me on that price and open a computer in front of me but um so they've done monday nights now as the locals kind of like bistro night instead with like an abridged version of the tasting with a la carte options which is awesome um that leads me on to new regional restaurant of the year which is the wonderful people at bistro livy in mwillamba um and mwillamba like is coming along so well so you've got also mwillamba there's keith just called keith and that's one of my favorite cafes in Australia, this beautiful old like 70s arcade, very Australian, um, yellow tiles. I think it's run by an American dude or Canadian. Don't quote me on that. But um, just does like these amazing like cherry and black pepper like pies and things and just great coffee and like one of little like provision store. Anyway, that's Keith. But Bistro Libby um, is just around the corner from Keith. Those guys opened up last year. Um, sisters Nikki and Danny, they had um, I think – I think it was Nikki was on the floor or Danny was on the floor at Carlton Wine Room and Nikki was in Mavita or the other way around. I can't remember off the top of my head, but they're, they're wonderful. And they moved back home or to the Northern Rivers. Um, Ewan um, is uh, their mate. He's come on board as chef. He was head chef at Mavita for a while on the Frank in Melbourne. I'm not sure which Mavita, but um, just this Spanish-inspired food in um, Willembar in this beautiful renovated dining room. Which would, if it was in Melbourne or Sydney, it would just be the hottest ticket in town. Um, natural wine, Spanish style. You can, but doing like amazing, like hand picked crab in like curry leaf butter. 
Um, yeah, like so. And but what it is is here's my thing. Here's my tangent. Um, that it's just it's kind of made for locals in mind. It's the kind of place if you're a local, you can come down there on a Wednesday night. You can get a couple of anchovies, maybe a little bit of bread, maybe a main, and uh, have a martini and one glass and go home. Um, or you can go there on the weekend with some mates and just buy a bottle of something silly and frivolous and. And, and just have an absolutely cracking long lunch. Um, but what we're seeing now is more people moving back home to the regions or they, they're being kind of like not necessarily priced out of the city, but they're just seeing like, oh, I think there's kind of more potential and, and, and more fun that can be had in the regions and we can get this like huge space that would cost us so much money in Sydney, but we can do something awesome in this like uh, joint instead. So... Uh, yeah, like regional dining in New South Wales for so long, like at that top level, has always kind of, I feel, like being built with tourists in mind. A lot of like wine country restaurants where you've got to like log in for a, uh, you know, five-course degustation for lunch. And it's like, well, I just want a quick, you know, bite to eat, which is something a little bit more than a sandwich, but a little bit less than um, uh, six courses. And so we're seeing more of that happen around uh, the state, which is great. So, yeah, Bistro Livy. Willembart, like one of my favourite dining experiences of the entire year. So, yeah. So good to hear about that. And just a, a brief interlude to plug some previous podcasts we've done. So we did a, a lovely series called The Women of Pippet and spoke to some of the awesome front of house and back of house women that work in and around Pippet. And it's just such an awesome community that Yen particularly has created, just really showcasing and supporting women in their hospitality careers. So important. And also, yeah, we chatted to Ewan from Bistro Livy a, a while back and yeah, I mean that restaurant did not have an easy start. You know, opened, got flooded. You know, and and so did Pippet. Pippet, Pippet was flood affected as well. So these restaurants have not. It's never easy, but they've had particular challenges. Northern Rivers has rebounded back so so much. It's so wonderful to see. Like it's just we had I think thirteen restaurants in the guide last time we scored, and now there's twenty for the Northern Rivers. Um, it's just incredible. Super exciting. Now, Cal, yeah. you've said a few times on this show, don't quote me, but I'm going <laughs> to now specifically quote you um, from the article in Good Food about these awards and you say this, I do worry the top end of dining is becoming bloated with high-end bistros and brasseries with too much caviar on their hands with the cost of living projected to get worse before it gets better. The beluga bubble may soon burst. Um, speak to that a little bit. Um, I hear a lot that people's purses are tightening and that, um, cost of living is a serious problem and not just in Australia. This is globally, of course, um, in the Western world anyway. Uh, and then I go out to restaurants and it just seems there's more people buying whole lobsters and caviar and truffle supplements uh sometimes in a kind of like we're just going to have a good time it's a birthday party and we're going to treat this as a very special occasion other times just because you can and because you have the money and it's starting to get all a little bit gross i saw an instagram recently of someone at a restaurant shaving truffles like a waiter shaving truffles into a customer's mouth 
And I thought, oh, we're, we're done. End we- of days. <laughs> you know, and just the whole caviar bump thing and it's just, oh, it's just all getting a little bit gross. Um, I'm all for restaurants making money wherever they can and wherever they need to. But um, I do just think like, is this just becoming this, you know, is this a one percenter kind of thing? Um, it's and uh, I don't know, like, because I know, like me, like personally, like I'm a journalist. Like I'm lucky to have an expense card to to go out and um, charge. Well, not too many truffle supplements and caviar, that's for sure. I get in big trouble and start doing that. But, you know, a reasonable amount of food to go across a review. But if I'm going out like on a journalist wage, which is pretty good, but not, you know, amazing, um, I'm not affording that kind of level of food more than like once a month. Um, so I'm just like wondering how long can this last? Where's this money coming from? Um, when is this 1%, you know, who are going out buying all these lobsters, buying all these, um, you know, ridiculously priced steaks, which again is probably worth it. Don't get me wrong. I know the price of produce is high, but I'm just thinking like, oh, there's got to be a point where the bloated, ridiculous brasseries and bistros that seem to be opening up in CBD, um, it's going to come to a, yeah, it's got to stop some point. So where where that is, I don't know, but just, you know, looking at the economy and, you know, um, looking at the projections of where the cost of living is definitely going to get worse before it gets better. Um, that's some At some point, it's just got to slow down a little bit, that um, indulgence, that conspicuous consumption. I, I, I think I'm, I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I want restaurateurs to make money, but um, it's just a little bit worrying. You know, it feels like a little bit like last days of Rome style stuff sometimes. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's really interesting, you know, thinking back to people like Ben Devlin, uh, you know, I would say that is a kitchen that's built on no waste, like making the most of everything, uh, de- like a reverence for produce, but certainly not a profligacy, like really – you know, I, I, I'm sure the bins in that restaurant pretty much are empty. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and that's creating a, you know, a really, uh, you know, a, a high level dining experience that's recognised by critics such as yourself, um, but it doesn't. So I, I, I feel like even from maybe it's going to be be pushed from a, from the kitchen point of view because they're dealing with costs just like their customers. Um, and, you know, the, the um, yeah, food waste is a problem for all of us. So I don't know. There's it's there's definitely you know uh, a few lanes um, happening all at once. Yeah, I think so. Look, I learned the smart guys at that level of Ben. And look, Encore by Claire Smith at Crown. I mean, that's Crown, that's Casino. They've got Monopoly money to burn. But um, again, don't quote me on that. Uh, but, uh, you, know, you know, like, but they've even um, doing like a little no-waste program by utilising all of their offcuts um, within a new little cool bar menu as well, for example. Um, so I know the, the cogs and the profit margin, they're pretty tight. I get it. Like, I really, really do. But it's just like, Oh, it's just that gross um, Instagrammy. Are you even there to eat the food, or is it just to take a photograph of the lobster and the caviar and the truffles um, for your social media? And I'm just seeing a lot more of that stuff happen than I used to coming out of COVID. I don't know what's done it. And then I just kind of worry, like, oh, is the people who are spending this money? Where is it? Is it all credit based? Have they got the savings? I just don't know. And like, is it all afterpay? And 
you know, it's just oh, how long can it last for? So, yeah, yeah, wow. Things that things that keep the good food guide editor up at night. Um, Cal, I I'm gonna wrap this chat up because I need to go and delete all the lobsters from my feed. <laughs> um, so good to chat to you and congratulations on the guide. It's a huge job. I know it's I know it's a team, but it's a really really important job to be at the helm. So congratulations. No, uh, look, thank you. Thank you for your, your help as well. I know you did a lot with the Melbourne guy this year, Danny. And also congratulations on your um, Gourmet Traveller uh, Award. So well. So <laughs> thank well you so much. It's always such a pleasure to work with you on stories and stuff over the years. So thank you. Oh, well, likewise. Look forward to doing lots more of that. Um, and in the meantime, happy eating. <laughs> Indeed. You too. Thank you. See ya. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.